you're watching We Heart Therapy. This is the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. You probably noticed my background has been changing lately because I recently moved into a new house and now I'm in the home office. So this may be my new background. Um, today we have a very exciting guest. We have Debbie Semeca Diaz. She is one of the trainers out of the EFT, EFT Center of New Jersey. And she's also a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. She's also been in EFT for over 20 years. She met way back when in the 90s. So she's been around for a long time. She's one of our very beloved trainers out of New Jersey. And she's going to talk to us today about stage one, properly mapping the cycle and helping us de-escalate our couples. Even if you're a seasoned EFT here, I promise there's some nuggets in here that you're going to walk away that are just delicious. So make sure that you stay. All right. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm very happy to be here. It's very exciting. So let's talk about stage one and mapping the cycle. So I know a lot of, especially beginning therapists um, in EFT, really struggle to figure out, kind of get their rhythm in mapping the cycle and how do they take you know, the couple comes in and they just kind of pile out all this stuff. Yeah. How do you help organize that into the cycle? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a couple of things involved. You're right. Couples do come out, come into our session, and they want to just tell you all their stories about their relationship. So I think one of the things early on in EFT that we want to learn how to do is um, session management or like kind of being in charge of the session, which is really about directing your couples to the information that you need to get from them. So sometimes I think we are trained to kind of sit back and let people share their stories with us. Like that's kind of like the, more of a therapeutic stance. Um, if we do that in EFT early on, I feel like we open the doorway for them to talk about everything that they want to talk about in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And because we're doing emotionally focused therapy, I think right from the get go, we want to build like a strong foundation and direct the people and say things like, it's really nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming. This is how I work. One of the things that I'll be looking at is um, different ways that you guys interact and impact each other. And we tend to look at conflict as ways couples get caught in patterns. So I'm going to start by kind of getting to know you guys a little bit and then try to look at patterns that you get stuck in. So right from the beginning, like laying that foundation, I think, is essential when we're talking about getting couples to sort of buy into a cycle. So you're really kind of setting the tone for the working relationship, letting them know that I'm your choreographer. I'm not just going to let you kind of take control and run the session. I have to be able to be in charge and I'm kind of setting that tone from the first session. Yes, right. From the beginning, because I kind of feel like in a way we, based on how we show up in session as an EFT therapist, the more focused we are, the stronger we hold our attachment frame, the better EFT clients our couples become mm -hmm. because they're not we sort of are training them on what matters most and then we get that buy-in early and then you find hey these EFT sessions are mostly all processed they're staying away from content they are focusing on the cycle they're working with emotion and there's not a lot of content interruptions and I think that's all about how we show up in the room that's really good now help me with so I think the couples that have a lot of conflict are actually a lot easier to map because they're giving you a lot to figure out the pattern. But if it's more of a couple that is defined by um, kind of the roommate scenario where maybe you have two withdrawers or you have a withdrawer and a gentle pursuer mm -hmm. and one partner really is emotionally disconnected from their, from themselves and what's kind of happening around them and they don't give you very much to go off of to put into the cycle. How would you, you know, if you had a couple like that, how would you put that into the cycle? Well, I think partly there's a lot of nuances that we can pick up in session. And when clients are big and reactive, it's like really easy to see secondary emotion. When they're, when they're like kind of softer, you have like a soft pursuer or a gentle pursuer or people who seem withdrawn. One of the things that I highly recommend is taping those sessions because those clients will say things that will help you understand their cycle and what's emotionally happening 
for them. It's just not as big. So we have to train ourselves to kind of look out for that. I've seen so many pursuers um, who are, they're, um, they're not, it's not like they're trying to be manipulative, but they're so gentle in their pursuit that it, it kind of tricks therapists and they think that they're like softened or de-escalated because they're so soft in how they talk or they might have tears. But yet when you listen to the words, it's very critical, but it doesn't appear that way. So part of it is looking for those things and realizing that they are right there in front of you. And when we're sitting in session, sometimes it's harder for us to see it. So by taping those sessions and mm -hmm. taking a look at them, you'll be able to see those things. Mm -hmm. Couples, you know, all couples fight somehow, even if their fight is about silence, right? That sometimes that's the loudest fight people have. So when, that, when we have that kind of silent withdrawal, withdrawal conflict, we really want to try to understand what's happening mm -hmm. internally for both of these people, right? Each one, considering this relationship is so important to them. There's a lot riding on marriages. It's a very important relationship to us. So when we hold an attachment frame and ask these people, what's going on? When, you, when your partner's not talking to you for three days, what's going on for you in those moments? This person is so important to you. There's a lot riding on this relationship. Let's talk about what's going on for you. So trying to use the attachment frame as an entry point, we're kind of like trying to poke a little bit right. to get them to see what's happening internally. So I think some of the real time examples with, you know, and I, and this is what I tell, you know, some of my um, therapists that come to me for help when you have with jars, sometimes you have to map in, in the cycle, what's not happening versus what's happening. So you know, if you have two people who are turning away, you, you map the process of turning away. So exactly. some part of you says, I really want to be in contact with you, but then it doesn't feel like they're available or they're interested. So instead of speaking out and saying something, you stay quiet, you keep it to yourself and you shut down and you go to the other room. That's usually one of the ways. Right. No, that's a really important way because turn, you know, Turning towards the relationship, in a way, I kind of see that's what we're trying to teach them how to do and experience in stage two. Mm -hmm. Whenever they're in a cycle, whether they're withdraw, withdraw, or pursue, withdraw, however they're showing up, it, they're, turn, they are both turning away from the relationship because they're putting on their layers of protection. Mm -hmm. So turning away and shutting down is, I kind of just see any move that people are making in the cycle is the way that they're protecting themselves. Mm -hmm. Because some kind of alarm bell is going off internally that says, this relationship is dangerous somehow. Somehow, I'm going to get hurt by my partner. Either they're going to give me the silent treatment for three days, or yell at me, or just blame me that I've done something wrong, or point out my flaws. So there's some kind of danger cue that goes on inside that sends off an alarm bell, and that's how, then we protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. so we either protect ourselves by getting big and angry and throwing grenades or we protect ourselves by turning away and shutting down so we don't hurt as much. So let's, let's talk about another kind of withdrawal, though, the kind that doesn't necessarily identify with a danger cue, but the kind that grew up very independently that never learned mm -hmm. to attach or connect with others that it just doesn't occur to them to do these things. And so... And, and this is, to me, this is probably one of the most challenging kinds of clients, especially in stage one when they come in and it feels like you're trying to do some form of withdrawal re-engagement in stage one, which is so tough. So, you know, thinking of a withdrawal that, you know, like I have a couple with a gentle pursuer and a withdrawal just doesn't occur. And he, he keeps to himself the withdrawal. And for him, it just doesn't occur. Like, okay, my wife wants to talk to me and, you know, okay, but I've got nothing to say, so I just don't say anything. And, you know, now I hear her saying that she wants to talk to me. Okay, like I feel bad, but what else am I supposed to say? I don't have anything to say. So how would you put that into the cycle? Um, I would want to work with that person as far as the cue from the wife, mm -hmm. right? Because in attachment relationship, She's sending him some kind of cue that does trigger something. So we need to trust that something's happening for this guy. Mm -hmm. So 
he might not be, you know, his attachment longings and needs and, and emotional experience is not close to the surface. But number one, we need to trust that that's inside. Mm-hmm. We use the spouse as like a cue to kind of get into his experience, right? So when you see your wife coming at you or listing your flaws as to what you're doing wrong in this relationship, what's going on for you in those moments? Because the wife, see, because it's an attachment relationship, the wife's moves matter so much to this withdrawer guy or woman, whoever the withdrawer is, right? So there's definitely something happening for this person in those moments. And I think sometimes we need to trust that it's there, that something does go on when they see their spouse doing ABC. The other thing I think is we need to join withdrawers where they are and give them lots and lots of permission for who they are. Mm-hmm. Because if we, some, if we give our withdrawers like a message somehow that they're not answering our questions correctly, or they don't know how to do sort of therapy, or there's something wrong that they don't have their feelings or something like that, what's gonna happen is it's gonna trigger them to put up their wall with us in session. So another thing that's really important with withdrawers is that we validate them for where they are today. Yeah, of course it makes sense that you're not plugged into this. This was not a part of your experience. It's almost like speaking Chinese and you're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that is. So you go to what you know and you know this really well. And that makes sense. So really joining the withdrawer with how they've been brought up in this world and what this world has taught them, not only from their family, but from society. Society teaches us, pursuers and withdrawers, but I think more withdrawers, to keep your emotions in check, don't feel anything, be strong, be independent, solve problems. And actually, the more you solve problems, the more successful you are, the more I'm going to reward you in our society for that. So really kind of meeting a withdrawer there and I almost want to say, like, not tr- don't we don't want to try to drag them down the staircase into emotions. We want to hang out with them wherever they are mm-hmm. and give them a lot of time, a lot of space to figure out what their experience is without having them feel like there's something wrong with them. So how would you begin to map primary in the cycle with a withdrawal that is so deep in the cave that you feel like you have to go Real, I mean, there a lot of withdrawers are, are in the cave, but they're not like really deep in it. So usually mm-hmm. it's pretty easy. You do a little bit of digging and you can get something. But let's say they're so deep in it that you feel like you've got to walk miles and miles and miles and miles and still the dreaded, I don't know, I don't know. So how do you, without triggering them, mm-hmm. hang out in that area and pull out, you know, those something deeper than I don't know? How do you get them to connect the dots? Because I know for a lot of them, they do long for connection, but it, you know, to them, you know, talking about the day or whatever doesn't reach them for connection, even though they see their spouse poking at them saying, Hey, I want to be with you. I want to connect. I want to talk to you. And they're like, I don't know what that's about. Like I got nothing. You know, well, partly, partly I'd wonder, is the spouse saying, hey, I want to be with you or is the spouse being in a critical pursuit or angry or poking? Right. Is that person coming from their position in the cycles? One thing I'd be looking at to help that withdrawer get in touch with what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're right. When some withdrawers, their feelings and their attachment longings are closer to the surface and there's other ones that are deep in that cave. So when we're working with them, right? That's, that's a person who says, I don't know. I don't know. And part of what we need to do is say, okay, so what's it like for you to really not know how to respond to your wife or to not know what this is like, right? So allow them to be in the, I don't know place is part of it. The other thing that, you know, I, when I'm talking about and doing teachings about withdrawers, It is so much more important for us to use silence in our interventions with withdrawers Mm -hmm. because withdrawers will get overwhelmed with words and, you know, EFT therapists, right? We paint the picture and we repeat 
and we validate and we reflect and that's what we're taught how to do in our presence. If you do that with withdrawers without a lot of silence between each intervention, you're going to, they're going to stay. And I don't know, cause they're going to get flooded with, with the lots of words. So we could be do, we could do that with a pursuer and it works awesome. Mm-hmm. If we do it with our withdrawer, they they're flooded and then they're going to stay in the, I don't know place. And it's, I mean, it, as silly as it sounds, the, around the use of silence, like I tell people like, you know, say an intervention without a question and count to five to yourself before you say anything else with the goal of being able to get up to at least 30 seconds of silence. And you as a therapist not interrupting that process because what I have seen over time is that that is so successful with getting those withdrawers mm-hmm. to, to come up with what's going on because they're not focused on the words. They actually are then sitting in with themselves and sitting with it, and then it becomes clearer to them what their experience is. Mm-hmm. So that's a technique that I would use to with your withdrawers who are way in the cave is use silence. And when your pursuer tries to interrupt, you ask them to please wait because they won't get there. Mm-hmm. They won't get there. And they can sometimes make us super anxious or the withdrawers who aren't getting there, right, can make that therapist really anxious. And so it's good for us also to look at what happens when I get anxious in session? Yeah. Do I talk faster? Do I talk more? Do I ask more questions? Do I freeze up? Do I let clients talk about content? Like that, I think, you know, the self of the therapist in EFT is a really another important thing that we want to look at when we're having difficulty with any of our cases. Yeah, which comes up a lot when we're trying to map the cycle and we're like, okay, now I got it. What do I do next? Or, you know, like with the withdrawals where it feels like, you know, trying to get, information from them or emotion or anything is like pulling teeth. And that's sometimes what the pursuers say is like, yeah, it feels like just to talk and connect is like pulling teeth. (laughs) Right. Right. So, you know, what, when we think about the cycle in session, I, I think sometimes it's, it's better for us to start with the very basics, right? Like when you see your partner doing whatever they do in the fight, shutting down, not talking, saying, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, what, what do you do in response to that? So I'm starting with what do you see your, per, your partner behaviorally doing and what do you usually do in response to seeing that? And starting actually when we're mapping a cycle with just that reactive behavior in a back and forth kind of way, then we add in secondary emotion. Withdrawers do have secondary emotion, even if it's like a numb, like just kind of numb, I don't feel anything because they, we have to trust that they are reacting to their pursuers' pokes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the negative cycle is about people um, triggering each other, right? It's not about, I just want to be close to you. It's not a soft reach. It's not a welcoming invitation. It's really about, like, I can't be vulnerable with you when I'm caught in a negative cycle, actually, when I'm a pursuer or a withdrawer. Because it's been too um, dangerous or awful or it's been a bad experience. So then I protect myself and I do this other thing. And then I'm sending you a mixed signal. Mm-hmm. I might be saying something like, I want to be close to you, but I say it with such an edge to my voice. Or I say it with accusation that you're doing something wrong here. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a scrambled signal that partners are receiving from each other. So if you think about it, we're starting with mapping the cycle with just the top part. Mm -hmm. I kind of think about it like our infinity loop that we have now that a lot of people train off of. If you think about the infinity loop and you kind of narrow it down and you make it kind of small, just getting the couple to see that they're impacting each other on secondary emotion Mm -hmm. and the reactive behavior and whatever meaning they attach to that, which is our thoughts or perceptions, right? When you see your partner doing this behavior, what meaning are you attaching to that? And so as we do that, we start to take the, the narrow infinity loop and we expand it. And so the couple begins to get the bigger picture of the cycle. So the next thing we want to weave in is accessing their primary emotion. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of enactments would um, therapists start out giving when they're mapping the cycle? I think like, like first, first round enactment, it's always good to even if it's just from an insight place, right? If we get somebody to say, 
I feel uncomfortable or inadequate or sad or something, but they're not accessed, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when I feel that way, I end up showing you shut down, withdraw, I leave the room, I get angry. So the first, I like to do my first round of enactments with the cycle around just the insight that there's something more going on and this is what I show you, mm-hmm. right? Another enactment is something around, oh, when I show you this behavior, reactive behavior in the cycle, I realize that it, 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 you, it lands this way on you or it hits you in this spot. That's another type of enactment. So you're not, you know, our first enactment go around isn't going to be with access primary emotion, but it's going to be with things related to the cycle. Sure. Right? So, Even if, yeah. so on ahead. a basic level, it sounds like some of the first enactments will be, you know, we may have a, a partner say, you know, could you turn and tell your partner that, you know, when I want to get close with you and I feel like you're not listening, I poke you, I, I, maybe get critical, I insult you, and I act really angry, but really inside I'm trying to get your attention. That would be a perfect enactment. Perfect, perfect. Because what we're trying to do, it's multiple things with the cycle. We do want people to own the move that they make in the cycle, right? And that's, that's like an enactment towards owning the move that they make. And also by putting in the, I feel sad, Sorry about that. I, I feel sad. And when I feel sad, I show you my anger. I start to poke. Or when I feel lonely, I start to poke at you. So it's not, it doesn't, it kind of takes away the sting so the person doesn't feel so bad about their behavior. Mm-hmm. By putting in the sad or the lonely, or I feel like I'm letting you down, like a withdrawer, like when I keep hearing that I'm letting you down or I didn't do it right, or I missed the one out of 10 things that you asked me to do and I hear that I did it wrong again, I just shut down inside. Yeah. Right? So it kind of helps connect. So it's not like there's something wrong with you or your or your it's your fault because you do your behavior. It is really connected to something else. Right. So really in the beginning of stage one, the very earliest pieces of stage one is we're really picking out what do you do and then how does that trigger what you do and what, you know, what's going on maybe down here, even though you do this. So, you know, um, you know, when I feel like you're not listening, I get really critical and I start to poke you and attack you and get really angry. And then when I do that, then partner, I get triggered when you poke me and attack me. I'll, I don't hear that you really need my help or you want me. I hear all the ways that I've let you down. I hear that I just screwed up again, that, you know, here's yet another thing. I can't put the dishes away right or, I, you know, I can't make the bed right or something. And so then I get defensive and then I start counterattacking you. And then when I counterattack you, then it's like, over here, I don't hear that you hear what I want or what I need. You're just attacking me and defending yourself and what you're doing is okay. So then I feel even more hurt or angry and then I poke more and then I poke more and then you poke more. And so we kind of pass back and forth. This is what you do. And this is what you do. And then we kind of, sometimes we use the hand signal, like mm-hmm. oh, so you do this and then it causes this and then it causes this. And then we go around like this and, you know, really helping them to connect the pieces how they're related. Yes. And I, and something that you, when you were just talking there, that's really important is when we do reflect the cycle and the pieces that we've learned, even if we've only learned a couple pieces, mm-hmm. it is really important to say, so you see your partner as withdrawing. And when you see that you feel alone and then you kind of go after and you start poking and criticizing. And then the more you see your partner poking and criticizing, the more you feel like you're letting them down and the more you shut down. And then the more you see your partner shutting down, the more alone you feel and the more you're going to poke. And the more she's poking at you or he's poking at you, the more you feel like you're letting your partner down and the more you're shutting down. Mm -hmm. So what is really important there is the back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Instead of just summarizing and reflecting a cycle like in a one infinity, it's really important for us to kind of get that back and forth piece so the couple, first of all, so neither person feels blamed. If we start somewhere in the cycle and end somewhere without doing that back and forth piece, it's like somebody almost started the cycle, if you will. And that whole point of what we're trying to do is kind of take away blame from each other and see how they're caught in a loop because of how they're experiencing each other. And it sounds like the progression of stage one, I know a lot of therapists um, 
beginning EFT therapists get kind of anxious and feel like, oh, we're hanging out in stage one too long. And, you know, depending on, you know, how escalated the couple is, you may spend the most amount of time in stage one de-escalating them because, you know, for some couples, the only reason why they're not connecting is because of the fighting. You clear that away, then they're connecting. But, you know, sometimes they feel like in such a hurry, okay, I've gone over the cycle, I've gone over the cycle, what do I do next? And and we may, you know, go through the progression of the cycle. So one session we may spend just getting the bare nuggets, you know, and maybe do a brief enactment like we mentioned earlier. Oh, I get angry and, and then I start to poke you. And when you poke me, I start to shut down and I don't want to talk to you. And then, um, you know, next session we'll, we'll build on that and we'll go a little bit deeper and then we'll connect that and do an enactment. Like inside, I really long to be close to you, but I don't feel like I can get you. So I start to poke and blame, whatever, you know, you start going into a little bit of primary and then you may do an enactment around that. And then the next week you'll go again and you'll go again. And, and oftentimes very early in stage one, I'll have clients getting into fights more regularly. And I just, I'll use the fight from the week to illustrate the same. Well, see, this is the same thing that we talked about last week. And, um, but what about when the cycle is not so, when it's more complex, like, you know, um, two withdrawers, or I think one of the more complicated ones is when there's, they come into therapy for an attachment injury, like an affair, mm -hmm. and the, the betrayed partner doesn't see themselves as part of the cycle. They think, we're just here because my partner cheated on me, and I have all this pain, and the, the other partner, the one who stepped out, is saying, I you know, had this affair, but, you know, I was really disconnected in the marriage and that's what I want you to see and I want to change the marriage and the other person's just not buying into themselves as part of the cycle. How would you address that? Well, the first thing I would say is alliance or step one in EFT, right? So the person who's feeling betrayed, we need to join with them and connect with them in that place, validate that until they feel safe with us. Because we can't go into tracking a cycle with that person, right? The betrayed person, it'll, it'll damage any alliance that we're trying to build if we start there. So we, again, it's part of it starting where your clients are showing up. Mm -hmm. Validating also the affair person who said there are things wrong with our marriage. Like to be able to validate that person and say, yeah, I totally get it. Yes, you know, for a third person to get involved here, there was something on your, at least on your side that you were seeing and experiencing where you were not feeling connected to your spouse. And on your side, you thought things were fine in your marriage, and then you got blindsided by this affair, and it feels like you're cut off at the knees. So joining that person where they are before we try to really kind of track a cycle, per se, once we have that alliance intact and, and they both are feeling comfortable with us, I usually tell people with affair cases like this, one of the things that's super important for me is for us to go back before the affair so I can understand your relationship. And the reason I want to understand how things were before the affair is because in order for you guys to heal from this and to not have it continuing to run your relationship, all three of us have to really understand what it was like before. Otherwise, when anything happens that's similar to that, it will activate the mistrust and you guys will never be able to heal from this affair. Right. So in a way you're saying... Let me help you make sense of, of what was really happening in the relationship that led to this occurring, even though, you know, again, we're saying understanding is different than justifying. We're not justifying the behavior, but we do want to understand the emotional dynamics at play so that we can work to heal from this and affair-proof your relationship going forward. Yeah, and I love that word, affair-proof. Exactly, because that person who was betrayed there's definitely, they're going to look back and they're going to, you know, the hindsight's twenty twenty. They're going to see all the things that were, were wrong or problematic in the marriage. And anytime they see their partner doing that, let's, let's call it as it is, their, their role in the cycle, when they see their partner doing that, that's going to activate mistrust. Mm -hmm. Right? So it is so important for us to get their buy-in. And the first way is always going to be to join with them where they are, validate them where they are. And with an affair... Like being really explicit that the person who stepped out, they are responsible for that, no matter what kind of cycle this couple was in. 
Like the person who stepped out and did the affair is responsible for that move. And you can't put blame on either one of them. Or you can't put blame on the other partner for that, right? So being clear with that, I think, is very helpful for the couple. The other thing, I mean, with affairs, <clears throat> they're really, there's a lot of stuff going on with affairs, I think. And one of the things that happens is the person who had the affair, all in my experience in doing this work, they are filled with shame in what they did to their partner. So because they have shame inside, they are so motivated to get past this affair that they're trying to drag their partner to the finish line to get over the affair. Because what they're really trying to do is not feel their shame, right? So if I can get you to stop worrying about the affair and start trusting me again, then I don't have to feel my shame. And that we know is never going to work, right? Because then this person who was betrayed is sitting here suffering. And the person who had the affair is like sitting here alone, trying not to feel their shame, which just keeps them caught in the cycle. <laughs> so I have probably 90. I'm in Vegas, guys. So I have 80 to 90% of my couples that come in with infidelity. And yeah. most of them I'm able to, I wouldn't say cure, but I'm able to get them to digest the, the cycle in, in the usual way. But every once in a while, I get a couple that just doesn't, you try your whole bag of EFT tricks and they're still like, won't crack. <laughs> and particularly power couples, I call them the power couples, where they're like super high success, very logic. And um, I have the, you know, affair, the person who committed the affair is willing to own their piece. But the other partner, even though we have a really good alliance and we've been working together for about three months, still does not want to see that her partner had pain in the relationship, that they felt disconnected. Even though we've said, we're not excusing the affair, it's wrong, we all agree that it's wrong, you know, he's owned it, he's enacted it, but she still feels like in some way by seeing her partner's having pain, that maybe in some way she was responsible for the affair, which is not what I'm trying to get her to see, but I am trying to get her to see that this was a symptom of the disease and she just doesn't want to let go of the we're just here because he did this and everything's fine kind of thing. Right. Right. So when, so when he talks about the pain, what we need to figure out is how is she hearing that? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause my guess is exactly like you just said, she hears it as somehow this is her fault and she can't even bear to dip her toe in that area because she is so devastated by what her husband did to her. So when he talks about his pain, she's like, blocks that, right? No way. No way about your pain because my pain for your betrayal is a hundred times worse. So with, you know, with him, I would, I think the <clears throat> um, first stage one affairs, I think there's a really important piece that we have to do in stage one of EFT. And that is remorse. We have to have like a session or two dedicated to tracking the cycle and tapping into remorse, where there is an enactment from the person who did the cheating from a really vulnerable, open place, expressing authentic remorse and sorrow for what they've done. Like a it's, small attachment injury repair. So kind of, kind of. We know it's not gonna do, a, it's not a cure-all, but it's not gonna move the person who was betrayed out of their position to work on their relationship and start to see the cycle if we don't do this remorse piece. That's what I feel. That's what I've learned over the years is this remorse piece is really important to do in stage one in order to get the buy-in from the affair person and to begin, they need to feel that and, and know that they don't really trust it, but it feels really good to hear and it matters. And I've never heard an affair E, right? The person who was cheated on, say that that didn't feel really good to hear that and that they never see that. I always get that feedback con like every single time. So it's validating. Okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Is I got to do this in stage one, not as an intention to repair the injury per se, but in a way to open the door to continue doing stage one work. I often talk about in stage one with the affair couples that 
um, part of what they're dynamic now is how they're trying to navigate the healing process and how they get caught as they navigate the healing and helping them both realize this is something they both have to grieve because there was the person who was betrayed and they're so hurt and this was such a shock and they have to grieve that, that pain and that damage. But then the affair person, oftentimes this was something that was out of character for them, something they never thought they would do. And they have to learn to grieve that part too, this piece where they were both so disconnected. And in that way they can come together and grieve this time of disconnection together. Right. Right. That's, that's our ultimate goal, right? Is for them to grieve together and to heal together. So I, I just want to go back to something that you said earlier before we shifted into the affairs, because I think it's really important, the repetitiveness of tracking or mapping out a cycle in, ses in sessions with our clients, because I feel like this is extremely important for people, that what we, we, we didn't really talk much about accessing primary emotion and what that really looks like in stage one. I, a lot of times I think people think insight is access and it's not. People need to be feeling it in the now and EFT is an experiential approach. So we're trying to feel the feeling in the now moment and have them plugged into their body experience right now in session. And we then kind of connect that up to what they do in the cycle. It, I mean, I feel like that's one of the most important things that we're doing. Sometimes when people go for accessing emotion, it's like the accessing emotion becomes like this bubble of feeling that they've accessed in the session, but it's not linked back to the reactive behavior or it's not established that there's a block where they don't share this primary emotion with their partner. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about staying in stage one and working with the cycle for several sessions, that's the stuff that we're doing. We're working on to accessing the emotion and having it be felt in the room and doing an enactment where either the, per the person who's feeling the feeling exits the emotion when they go for the enactment or the partner dismisses the emotion, which is, which is a piece of the cycle, which we want to work with live in the room to get the couple to have an experiential sense of their cycle because their cognitive understanding isn't enough. So it is the experience and the primary emotion that actually brings us to the first change event in EFT. And this is part of where we may have to do what, what we like to call the catching bullets, right? So if I get someone to enact a primary emotion and their partner dismisses it, it can feel like, oh, they just shot me a bullet. They're getting defensive and telling me why my emotions are wrong. And that can be really hard and that becomes a block. And how would you help um, beginning therapists um, catch that bullet in the session? I think the key is um, recognizing that when the bullet is fired, it is their move in the cycle. So that person who fires the bullet is something's happening. They're hearing something or making some kind of meaning to this person over here that's activating their protection. So we want to call that out and understand it in the now. So Right here, right now, I hear your partner saying, I feel really sad or, or lonely, and you see tears in their eyes, and there's something that you're hearing or experiencing right now. Help me understand what's going on for you right now. Because we want to get to that some kind of alarm bell went off inside their body, right, which they're not even aware of. That's why in EFT, we slow it down and we do moment-to-moment, -moment, we call it moment-to-moment -moment processing, is catching that and, like, like almost like freezing the frame right there into someone's experience and unpacking and understanding what it is and then linking that back to the cycle. So, so you, what's that? And getting curious about it. So when we see that, you know, oftentimes therapists themselves get triggered when, when they're, Oh, I'm, I'm going to do this beautiful enactment. And I finally have my person saying, Oh, I'm really sad. And the other person just blows it out of the water. And, and they're like, Oh my gosh, what do I do with this? It's just blew up in my face, you know, and realizing that that block, I love how, you know, Sue said in the externship, sometimes it's because you're asking them to do something that you're not ready to do. You've asked them to bite off too big of a chunk. And sometimes that's not only for the person who's doing the sharing, but the person doing the receiving. And sometimes you know, it activates something inside pain of some kind, right? It's hard to hear that we've hurt our partner. And yeah. so instead of like, you know, 
like, oh, this is just this person being difficult, which is how other models might conceptualize that. Getting curious and going into that. If you remain that stance of curiosity, which was another video we did, it's easier to go in and explore that block and say, okay, what just happened right now? I'm really curious, like, what did you hear? And maybe one thing you can talk about too is the ones that even though their partner is just saying, I feel really sad when I can't reach you, the, the other partner that just hears blame, even when their partner's not blaming them. How would you process that in the moment? I would, well, I would ask them, right? Get curious, lean in, try to understand what's going on. And then I'd be able to validate their experience because once I understand it, I'm going to say, oh, right. Because that's the signal you get from your partner in the cycle is that it's your fault. That's what you're always scanning for and looking for. And that's your body's way of protecting yourself. And as you sit right here, right now, your body is sending you signals that you're being blamed. So it makes a lot of sense why you did whatever you did, blocked it, whatever. And then to the person who took the risk, I would come back to them and say, you took a risk and I so appreciate it. And it makes so much sense to me why this part of you stays covered up and stays hidden because you've been caught in this cycle, right? And so in the cycle, this is how your partner often responds to you. So you've learned not to take the risk. So you go and you hide behind your wall or whatever you do. So it's an opportunity to really show them the cycle from an experiential place. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned something about therapists getting triggered around enactments. And I think that is super duper true. Um, and I think part of it is because the therapist isn't thinking about what the purpose of a stage one enactment is, which is to diagnose, assess, practice, or evoke emotion. Mm -hmm. So it is not to create a corrective emotional experience. It is not to create a bonding. And I think that's where people are getting tripped up because they're, they're with the client who's accessing, right? They're connected with them. They feel the vulnerability of the therapist feels it. And it's just so beautiful and warm. And then they send over this enactment and the person does it. And the therapist is thinking, oh, how could you, you're going to respond so great, right? Because here it is, this person is vulnerable, taking a risk. And then the spouse has been in a negative cycle for 10 to 50 years with this person and they don't do that. Right. So more like going into your stage one enactments, expecting that is much healthier for the therapist. That's so important that you say that the couple that's, they've been in the cycle for, you know, the couple's been married 19 years, 30 years, 10 years, whatever, you know, so obviously their cycle is not going to change in one enactment. Exactly. That's so important that you say you know, um, in the beginning of EFT, probably later stage one is when we might be able to start getting some healing and bonding moments, but certainly not at the very beginning. And I love how you said that enactments, the purpose at the very beginning is not to invoke these healing and bonding moments. And it, part of it is to get them talking and owning their part of the cycle and just starting to talk about their cycle in a different way you know, owning their parts rather than going into poking. Now I'm actually owning that. Yeah, I'm trying to reach for you. And now I'm talking about it in a different way rather than just all out attacking you. That's right. And uncovering and accessing that primary emotion, right? And then like, again, session, session, session after session, we're doing this. So we're taking that primary emotion and we're trying to expand the the felt experience of the primary emotion because in EFT we access expand and reprocess so the expansion of primary emotion what what that means is holding your client there for five minutes for 10 minutes and holding the couple in that space the longer we hold people in this space the um, quicker they hit change events in EFT it is actually the, that sitting in that primary emotion several times over several sessions for extended period of time is where you get the buy-in, where the partner goes, oh, this sadness is really there. Like, or this feeling lonely or this despair. Like they start to go, oh, because I've seen it several times and now I can't really ignore it because it's been feeling, I've been feeling it for 10 minutes, right? Rather than like, you know, two seconds, three seconds, a tear or two and the person popping out because that happens early on. So throughout each session, we're trying to get that more expanded, more expanded, more expanded. And as you map and validate, it's, it's also important, you know, it's okay to say, 
you're right. Like this is so new. You don't quite know what to do with this. You've never really heard your partners being sad. You've never really seen them as sad. So of course it's going to be weird that suddenly now, instead of all this anger, you see that there's sadness underneath and you don't really know what to do with that. Of course, of course, you know, totally validate. And I love how you said session after session after session, because again, therapists, I know a lot of us and I myself, when I was first learning EFT, got really anxious. And sometimes you have the clients putting the pressure on. Okay, when are we going to start to feel better? When are we going to start to feel better? We've been here for four months. Why aren't we feeling better? And I kind of equate it to however long they've been married or together is kind of the size of the ship, you know. So if they've been together maybe one or two years, they got a little schooner boat, which will probably turn around really fast. But if they've been married 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you're talking about the Titanic. It's not going to, it's going to take a long time to turn that ship around. Mm -hmm. And, and it's okay that it takes a long time and, you know, slow and steady wins the race is what I always say. That's right. That's right. And the slower you go in EFT, which is like slow pacing moment to moment in the now, the faster you're going to get results. So we start by, we often start with, they bring us a fight from outside the session and we explore and we track the cycle. And we are always looking for the cycle to show up in the room and the now between them, mm -hmm. right? And then when it does, we go really slow through that processing with them. And the slower we go, the faster they understand it and get that experiential sense of the cycle. So we go into our EFT session two and we already know the cycle. The couple does not know the cycle by session two or three or four or five. Right. And so two things I want to say is, too, if you've done this enactment and, and you know, it kind of blew up in your face, one mm -hmm. person didn't quite get it and, you know, and it's the end of session and they're kind of escalated the way I kind of tie that off. I love how Aviva Rizal, if you see my other videos with her, she says, tie a tourniquet bow. Mm -hmm. This is where we get stuck. This is how you guys get caught. This is what we're going to keep working on. This is what we're going to fight. So that's usually when I find that at the end of session, I have to wrap it up. I say, good, good job, guys. I know this didn't, you know, feel like we got some resolved, but actually some really good, helpful information came out today. We found out exactly where we get stuck. This is a big stuck place, and this is what we're going to continue to find. So this was so helpful. And then next session, go in, okay, this is where we get stuck. But something else, too, I want to switch, you know, that you said is um, when oh, the train went off the track for a second. So, um, oh, when you're trying to access the emotions with couples, even if they had the fight during the week and you're processing it, and you ask them to share and you're trying to get them in the present, into their emotions, and they're just like, well, this feels awkward because you know, the fight's over and, and I'm not really feeling it and, or it feels too staged because you're setting it up and it's not natural. How do you kind of address that with the client in those situations? Um, if, if the client's saying things feel too staged or usually they'll say that around an enactment, I find, um, I, I usually respond by saying, you're right. It is kind of staged. I'm actually asking you to turn and say this thing, a very specific thing. So what I would like you to do is make it real by how you share it. You can choose to open your heart up and share it from a place of vulnerability, or you can just mimic and share it with words. So that's totally up to you. So I put I it back that. on them. That's great. Right? That's fantastic. I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> borrow that all you want. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so again, you know, kind of to summarize, stage one – you know, it's okay that it takes time and, and stage one is really a, a large progression and couples usually come in highly, highly escalated or they may be a couple that's more, um, their cycle is defined by what's not happening, why we're not reaching to each other. You know, maybe we don't really fight, but we, we're not turning to each other for connection and you want to map, what are we doing instead of turning to each other for connection? Why do we turn out and what happens when we turn out? And the highly escalated couples, of course, they're giving you a smattering of stuff. And again, dive through the content to stick to the process. Okay, so you do this because you're going to find the common themes. Whenever this happens, I, my go-to tends to be this. And, and when I go to this, then my partner goes to this. And when I go to this, then you go to this. And then you go to this. 
and we're going to continually go back and forth and weave them together. And this isn't, and, and I've heard some people unfortunately get turned off of EFT as clients from people that don't understand this isn't a, oh, you know, we're each to like, they heard it as, oh, we're 50-50, so I hear blame, right? And it's not about that. It's, it's we both bring something into the cycle and, and impact each other in ways that, you know, doesn't quite work for us. And it's not about find the bad guy or assign blame. It's about, does this work for us? Does this not work for us? Right. And can I just add something? We bring something to the cycle because of our attachment longings. And that is essential. And that's where there's absence of blame, I think. Mm-hmm. Is when we put people's behavior, when we run it through an attachment lens, and we trust that there's an attachment bond between this couple that has been frayed over years because of the cycle, but yet they're still trying to fight. Like their moves in the cycle is actually them fighting for their relationship to preserve it or to get it more engaged, pursuer or withdrawer. But it's because they love this person. It's because they're desperate to fix this or keep this person or not lose this person. So the more we can, the stronger we hold our attachment frame and show them that, the more we get out of any kind of blame. And that's the step four where we attachify. I know Sue doesn't quite like that word attachify, but I think it's quite lovely, you know, when we constantly loop back all of the behaviors to the attachment intentions mm-hmm. then also the client doesn't feel so pathologized or like you know i'm the bad guy because i get so pissed off at you it's because i'm actually fighting hard for the relationship i'm really you know clawing to hang on to this connection or i'm shutting down because i want to make sure that i don't add to it and make it worse and lose you because maybe if i say something and you confirm my worst fear, then I lose you. And that would be awful. So I'm avoiding losing you by shutting down. So they just have different stances and constantly linking that step four. And again, stage one, the way we work through that is knowing the steps and stages of stage one, step one, two, three, four. Um, And using the the mini map, you know, the the dancing, the tango to work through, okay, today's session, we're going to go in and we're going to do steps two before um i kind of feel like after probably the you know second and third session you're never without step four like step four is in everything i feel like even through stage two you always have step four (laughs) but um, you know you're using the mini map okay so we're going in we're going to do two three four and then knowing the mini map which is you know how we're going to dance the tango so that's the mini map is that session within session map and the two, three, four is kind of the trajectory of what we're doing throughout, you know, um, EFT, the steps and stages. So, you know, using that mini map, which is, you know, we're going to, you know, what's the first part? Setting up the, uh, <laughs> accessing the uh, we're, we're going to enter through present process is the first one. Process, then yes. we're going to access primary emotion and deepen it. Then we're going to send over an enactment and it doesn't matter how, what happens there because we're going to process what happened, right? So stage one, stage two, it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of the tango. Mm-hmm. So we process what just happened. And then the last piece of the tango is showing the couple, organizing what just happened, tying a bow to it. It's almost like you zoom out and you say, ah, let's see what just happened here. Yes. And it's either, it's either different from the cycle that they're used to getting caught in or it's the cycle showing up and the protections getting activated because fear gets touched. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of think like for people to take the tango moves into your session, it's, you know, you have an agenda of what step you're on, but if you can't figure out what step you're on, take the tango in and then in supervision, say, here's me doing the tango. What step am I in? Cause I don't know yet. Yeah. Some people can do the tango, but they, they don't quite integrate the steps. And so everyone's a little different. Some people might know the steps, but they not know how to do the tango or deepen emotions. So sometimes the tango can be really helpful for people to take that in as your goal. Yeah. Yeah. The tango really gives you that, that in session framework for how you're going to get through the steps and stages. And I don't, I know, I know the, the steps, I just don't have the words memorized on the map. So I have to look at the map. I remember what they are. And, you know, again, like I love the end of the tying the bow. And sometimes that bow is, as Aviva says, the tourniquet bow. If it blew up in your face, you're going to tie it off and say, okay, 
look at this hard thing you guys do and this is where we get stuck but either way at the end we're going to step back and say okay look at what just happened or look at how you guys fought the cycle right now mm -hmm. um, and you're going to use that as you work through de-escalation and I love how you say you know session after session after session guys be patient slow and steady wins the race you know don't be in such a hurry to get through stage one because you want to create permanent lasting change not band-aid it and send them out the door and then you know, sometimes when you haven't, you know, spent enough time in stage one, you'll find your couples will reescalate in stage two. Exactly. Because they don't really get the cycle. That's those couples. Because some therapists can be really good at creating bonding events and creating safety in the room. But because it's not tracked back to the cycle, because the couple doesn't know what they do in the cycle and that these feelings are connected to a negative cycle, it's there. Of course, they're going to relapse and get back into escalation. So that stage one is so important. It's your foundation. It's it's the better you do stage one, the more successful you'll be in stage two. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's really about the couple understanding their cycle. And the buy in is about seeing your partner's be behavior through the attachment frame. I can see my behavior through the attachment frame the first time you hand it to me. Right. But for me to really believe that my partner is desperate to connect to me or I'm the most important to them, that's why they do this, or that they're trying to preserve the relationship and they're afraid it will escalate. So they need to keep it calm so they don't lose me. That's the part that takes time. Mm -hmm. Buy into that. That's your step four. Once I buy into that in my partner, then I start to see my partner differently. And I start to believe, oh, you do care about me. Mm -hmm. there's like there's that buy-in rather than when they came in the first session it's like you don't care about me or you don't like me right and oftentimes that repetitiveness helps them digest the cycle because maybe the first go around or the first session they're not really able to take it in and internalize it so the more you go over it and over it and over it and I know guys sometimes it'll feel like you're beating a dead horse but each go around, it just goes a little bit deeper in for your client till eventually they're able to fully digest what's happening and really internalize, oh, okay, this is where we're stuck and we're both a part of how we get stuck. And, you know, we want to, this is how it keeps us from being able to have the deeply connected relationship that we want to have. Yes, for sure. That makes, like, Getting that to the couples and getting them to really understand their cycle is essential. And what I would ask people, the people out there doing this, ask your couple what they know about their cycle or pattern or whatever word you're using. Go into your next session and ask them that and see. Because sometimes we think they know and then they're like, huh? Because you're right. They haven't digested, even though we've said it a bunch of times. So go in and ask them. It's, there's nothing wrong with asking them and, and checking in to see where you are with them. Sometimes when I ask them for that, I'll say, okay, pretend I'm an alien and I know nothing about your cycle. Tell me how you guys get stuck. What is your dance that you guys do together? <laughs> yeah. Don't you find that helpful when you ask them? Helpful in it tells you how much they took in, where they're at, where you still need to work. So maybe they can reiterate the cycle to you, which means they have it 100% insight right? And they know it cognitively. So that's your entry point to, okay, I'm going in and I'm accessing emotion and I'm going to hold it. I'm going to expand it as long as I can. And I'm just going to send over the enactment and see what happens. That will tell me if I'm in stage one or stage two, if and you're questioning it. Yeah. And sometimes I'll also ask if they understand their partner's stance in this cycle. If they say, well, my partner does this and I say, and you know, what have they said that's really about what do you kind of understand of that? And if they yeah. get it, I'll know that it's sunk in and we, we might be ready to move in. And if they're still not quite getting it, I know I need to spend more time there. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. So Debbie, you have some training videos coming out, right? Which we love. Training videos. Yay. <laughs> Yes, I have um, two that I'm working on putting together, both for Stage 1 Affairs, so I'm really glad that we talked about that today. Yes, we need that so much. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's the remorse piece that I was talking about, one couple with, you know, an infidelity in their relationship. The other one is a 20-year affair with wow. the husband's brother. Whoa. Yeah. And it was, it was a live consultation that I did, and for me, it just shows the power of this model and that we just, we need to hold space for people to work through what's going on. I mean, it's just, a, it's a great session. So I have two extremes, both stage one, 
but extreme differences in the affair to help people see how to apply EFT in stage one when you're working with affairs. And how soon can we get our hands on a copy of your training? Page? I know. Yeah. I got to get transcript for number two done. I'm, I want to do transcripts so everyone can have that and label interventions. So I'm still working on that. So I'm hoping that they will be out shortly within a few months because. Oh, you know, perfectly. So yeah. ho hopefully before the end of this year then. Oh yeah. That would be my goal. That that's a great goal. Now you just set my goal for me. Awesome. And so how will, when they do come out, how will we be able to find you and find your tapes and Okay. So I will, I will definitely announce it on the listserv for those people who are on the listserv. So it'll come out a couple times so people know that that's available. Um, also, um, you can go to, it'll be on my website, which is www.couplestherapy.com nj.com so they'll be available through downloading from my website is my goal and um there there'll probably be something on the eft center of new jersey website which is the eftcnj.com website so if you remember that website then you can go through there and there'll be something about training dvds Excellent. And I'm going to put a link to all of your sites on the description for this video. And folks can also contact you through your website or the EFT site if they want to get in touch with you for supervision or for consultation or to schedule a training. Right. Yep. And my email, I'll just toss out my email there for people, which is dsds at couplestherapynj.com. So people can email me. dsds at couplestherapy.com. At CouplesTherapyNJ for New Jersey.com. CouplesTherapyNJ.com. DSDS at CouplesTherapyNJ.com. Perfect. So we're going to also include that in the description for this video. Thank you again so much for taking some time to be with us today. This has been such a wonderful, wonderful experience. Thanks for having me. It was great. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, and as always, thank you again for watching our show. More episodes are on the way, so make sure that you – Stay tuned and subscribe.